In 2007, I had one of the craziest experiences of my entire life. I was working at the comedy store as a doorman, and a comedian told me that I should go and audition to play Shrek in the Shrek musical on Broadway. And I got to tell you, Jack, I was uh, pretty insulted. Okay, I was like, "What about me?" Makes you think that I don't answer. I, I think it's okay. your. I, 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 I think it's your green skin. You think it's my green skin? Yeah. yeah, maybe. So I went to this open call audition for Shrek the Musical. Uh, I ended up getting a callback, and then I ended up doing 32 more callbacks over a period of three months. Oh, wow. uh, I, you know, getting to work with uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and David Geffen and, and uh, Sam Mendes and all these amazing people that were part of the audition process, which was very intense for me because uh, I'd never had any sort of real success. In, in my career at that point. That's amazing. Um, I was... I it was crazy. I ended up getting cast to play Shrek on Broadway. I ended up uh, moving from my crappy apartment here in Los Angeles to a high-rise apartment overlooking Central Park. Wow. It was one of the most incredible places I've I, the most incredible place I've ever lived. And every day I would get uh, a, a, a car service would come pick me up and take me to 42nd Street, and I would get to work with the biggest stars on Broadway. It was absolutely amazing until right before the show opened and they fired me oh shit because because they had a big broadway star that they were training secretly to take over the part um and uh and that like is ends up actually being as pretty common practice on broadway they constantly have newbie people that are talented come in work out a role get it to where they want it to be and then fire them right before the show opens and replace them with a star that suddenly becomes available and uh, i didn't know that it was heartbreaking but I mean, because okay, I, when you say you said it was heartbreaking, right? You said it was heartbreaking. Yeah. So what did you? What, yeah. So what happened? What did you do? Well, I was very, very depressed. I moved back to Los Angeles, kind of, you know, tail between my legs, so embarrassed, and just felt like everyone thought I was a giant failure for not actually getting to do the job that everyone knew that I'd been cast to do. And uh, I was back here for a few weeks when I got an audition to. Uh, to be one of the stars of a show on Nickelodeon. Um, that show ended up going and uh, ran for five years, and it was this massive hit. And, I mean, if I wouldn't have had this horrible experience on Broadway, this, you know, this big um, failure on Broadway, then I would have never gotten to experience uh, what it's like to, to star on a TV show. I'm Jack Hergith. And I'm Stephen Kramer Glickman. And this is Never Surrender. The show where we sit down with the most successful people in the entertainment industry to talk about failure and how they pushed through it and never gave up. Because we've all failed. We've all had setbacks. Yeah, we've all questioned whether to keep going. But at some point, everybody struggles. Yeah, I mean, I've been let go from some of my favorite jobs. You and me both. We just hope that by listening to this podcast, it will help give you the strength to never surrender. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This guest is an iconic comedian who has been through hell and back. She's written and starred in her own show, One Mississippi, released a number of comedy specials, including Boyish Girl Interrupted, which earned her an Emmy and Grammy nomination. She also released a 2018 Netflix documentary called Tig, which is all about her life. Even after getting diagnosed with breast cancer in 2012 and feeling her life and career were over, she kept going. She is the definition of never surrendering. This is Tig Notaro. I'm so excited because uh, our guest today is a uh, phenomenal, phenomenal stand-up comedian and an actress and uh, someone that I uh, care deeply for. Uh, Tig Notaro, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yay! We're so excited. Standing ovation. It's a, we're both standing. <laughs> we're standing in the booth. Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah, we're standing inside the tiny booth. booth. Yes. Um, uh, I, I, I know. Um, thank you for taking some time away to from you know, family of kids. You I have, do. Uh, They're at a fun age. Sure. But um, I've heard the new term of three nagers. Oh, okay. Which is uh, it's pretty accurate. I like that. I like that term. Really? Yeah. Oh, I just they're like. You know, getting ideas and sure. thoughts and feelings that are they're having, they're having their their own mind is sowing their oats at three, yeah. sort of like pushing boundaries sure. and all yeah. that. Yeah, uh-huh. I have nine agers, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, and how so. are they? Uh, they were swearing at each other in the car this morning, which is interesting when you hear words come out of a nine-year-old's mouth. At... Yeah, I got my mouth washed out with soap once. Really? Yeah. What I was can't... that like? Um, one fun. Uh huh. It felt very seventies. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like maybe even in the moment I was okay. like, this feels like we're in the seventies. Did it happen in the seventies, or did it happen? It recently? happened in the seventies. Oh, 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 yeah, well, yeah. And I was like, well, this feels like it's happening in the right <laughs> decade. Were you a good kid or kind of a kind of a bad kid? I mean, I was mischievous. I was the class clown. I was up to stuff, but you know, I was never. I never got into like drugs, or I was. I was never really doing. I mean, I. I was. I was both. You know. Yeah. I smoked cigarettes. Really. At yeah. six and eight. And failed three grades. You did. Dropped out of high school. Uh, that's something that there's like. You never, you never know. The internet, you know, says things. Yeah. And so you're never sure if the internet is right. But it, it, somewhere on the internet, it said that you had failed yeah. eighth grade. Well, I failed three grades. You I failed, failed eighth grade grades. twice, really? and then I failed ninth grade. Oh, wow. God. What? How how did you? Uh, what what went into you failing eighth nothing. and ninth grade? <laughs> <laughs> nothing. 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 Uh-huh. I just I just went into. Uh, school I just I mean it's funny because and this is another thing I drove a motorcycle um, but always I never took lessons I didn't have a license um, and then as an adult I thought well I should get my motorcycle license and I went to class and I was sitting there 
And it came over me again, just sitting in motorcycle class. Where I was like, I hate school. <laughs> and so I just bailed. Did you fail motorcycle class? I dropped out. Oh, wow. I dropped wow. out of motorcycle school. Oh, geez. Was your family okay with what was happening? Or were you just like, <clears throat> who cares? Like, what, I was kind of, the... who cares? Yeah. Um, I, but I cared. I, I don't, I didn't want them to disapprove, but I also couldn't take it. And so uh, a really good friend of mine who my mother just adored dropped out of high school and he had, oh. he was the opposite where you had 4.0 SAT scores through the, like perfect scores and he dropped out. And, um, and I think that made my mother okay when I dropped out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Did she say I like, now that. you have to get a job now? Or like, was she strict uh, about it or? Not really. Um, my mother wasn't very strict and I, I wanted to get a job. I didn't relate to go to school, go to college, get married, do, you know, move to suburbia. I just wasn't really on that trajectory. Did that kick in early? Was there like an, do you remember like the first time where you were like, oh, this is, I'm not going that path. I don't think I knew it. I don't think I was completely aware. I think I was just always looking around thinking, what, what are these people doing? What are, what are people following here? What, what, you know, I was just really into, you know, music and smoking cigarettes and uh, hanging out with friends and riding a motorcycle. That's really cool. I mean, you were a much cooler kid than me. Um, But you said you were, uh, to go back to what you were saying earlier, you you said you were were into music. Did you want to be in a band and be performing live as a musician? Yeah. In my head, I was was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. But in, you know, my heart and soul, I had this rattling around of, loving comedy mm-hmm. and I really it was exhilarating to me to see comedians on stage and theaters and I, I would always baffle me I didn't understand when I would see Paula Poundstone or Robin Williams or Ellen or somebody walk out on HBO and they're in a full theater I was like how do how'd you get all those people there because I, I understood with music you have airplay and, and all that kind of stuff but I how do people know? How do you just walk out on a theater and everyone's cheering and then you tell jokes and you head out? Right. And yeah. so I, I thought, oh, I want to do that, but I didn't understand how to get from A to B or C or anywhere. Right. And yeah. so I just thought, well, I guess that I won't be doing that. <laughs> um, and then I just was a bit aimless for from the time I dro- dropped out until I started stand-up. Um, I played... And the other problem was I was too shy to play music on stage. I did it a few times, but I I was so uncomfortable. I, yeah. I, I was shaking. I couldn't play my guitar. So I realized I was more of a private, you know, at-home musician. Were you? Mm-hmm. Did you consider, like, working on the other side of it in, in music management? Or, I did. Or did. That's did what I did. That? Yeah, I worked in the music industry, and I thought that that was fulfilling me and um, until I finally tried stand up and I was like that's hilarious that I thought anything was fulfilling me and then I was just off and running doing stand up seven nights a week so what motivated you from 
being a music manager and working in industry to like, okay, I'm finally going to go up on stage. I'm going to try this my, comedy thing. My close friends that I grew up with, um, they had <laughs> gone to high school and college and had aspirations. And so they were, um, they were, uh, actually going to school and and looking for jobs and i um i just followed them around wherever they went wherever they moved whatever college they got into the three of us just so you're I not just, employed at this point you're I've, just... i'd work at you know i'd you know work for a record label i'd work at a coffee shop i'd do you know different stuff i worked with kids um but then uh they my friends moved out to los angeles to get into tv and film and so i thought well sure i'll go there there's music there and sleeping on their couch and started um looking through the la weekly and saw these open mics and and you know in so many other cities you would have the main club whether it was an improv or funny bone or something like that and then maybe an open mic at those places or, mm-hmm. or someplace, but usually not. It, and now there's, after the alternative comedy explosion, people started independently producing comedy shows and open mics. And, and so there you can go into so many different towns and cities and there's options. But at the time, I didn't really um, see those options. And it was intimidating in other cities that I was living in or visiting Whereas when I got out to Los Angeles and I saw the opportunity, I immediately, two weeks after moving here, started doing open mics. Wow. What was the first place you went? I went to to actually perform or to, uh-huh. yeah, okay, to do stand-up. To do stand-up was, uh, there was a coffee shop in West Hollywood called Little Frida's, sure. and it was known as yeah. a lesbian coffee shop, but which is hilarious. It's like, what does that mean? But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so they had a weekly stand-up night, all female lineup, and so I got up on stage there, and uh, I had been talking to myself in my apartment for the two weeks leading up to the show, and hadn't accounted for laughs, which seems odd, because I was just trying to get through my (laughs) material uh, and memorize it all, and then I got on stage, and I got some laughs, and it... I was taken aback. I was like, oh, gosh, that scared me. Yeah, right, right. Um, And then, you know, I just kept doing it. But it gave you the confidence to keep going, like, hey, I I can do this. Yeah, Uh and then I'd do it and not be able to do it, and then Mm -hmm. I'd do it, and then I'd do it, and it'd go okay, and then it'd go terribly and be horribly embarrassed one night and then feel like I was the greatest comedian ever to walk the planet the next night. And I think that's that crazy relationship with it is the back and forth and I started to feel like if 51% of the time I'm doing okay then I I feel like there's enough to go on I I read somewhere that um, the first time you got paid to do stand-up you you got fired halfway through that first week correct and what was what was that like for you Uh, it was painful Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) where was that Uh, it was in Denver Uh, I had gone to Denver and a friend of mine's father is kind of he came up with Roseanne Barr in Denver in the eighties and oh, wow. and um, like they both were neck and neck as the funniest person in Denver. Oh wow! Like really from that world and um, he let me do a, a guest spot for like five minutes at one of his 
shows and um and when I got off stage the club's like oh you know that was great we're, we're gonna book book you to come back and you can MC for a whole week and of course terrible money but like go out on the road and get maybe $350 to MC for a week oh yeah um and then stay at the comedy condo and they give you a comedy car and and it's like <laughs> oh, wow my god and um I was just so excited. And then that club shut down. And then this other club took over the bookings of the club that booked me. And then I was out at this strip mall um, bombing. I mean, bombing, 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 and more bombing. And then the next show and bombing and bombing. And I was like, oh, my God. And I also didn't realize at the time I wouldn't really... A host. I didn't know how to MC. I just knew how to like get up on stage and tell my jokes. I was very much into just the written verbal element of comedy. There was no real performance. Uh, I was, you know, they they would say, "Okay, here's the fishbowl." Um, you know, get people's uh, business cards and give away a free drink and, and ask whose birthday it is. And my delivery was like. Oh no! I was like, is there, are there any birthdays tonight? Like, it, it truly was just. I was so. Whereas now I could do it in my own way. That was f- making fun of it and really doing it, and I would know how to embrace it as my own. But at the time, I was truly just standing up there holding a fishbowl. It was just a nightmare. Friends of mine, because I had lived in Denver, they had all come to the show to see me. I got fired between the early and late show. Oh, no. So I did the early show. All my friends were coming to the late show. I, <laughs> it was incredible. Somebody from the venue was running around saying, has anyone seen the emergency fill-in comedian? And I thought, oh, my God, did something happen to Nancy, who was the opening act, mm-hmm. to the, the feature? And I didn't know that I had caused the emergency oh, and that no. I was being replaced. And oh, so... The guy came up and he gave me my money and he was like, you don't, you don't work at my club. And I was like, oh God. And he gave me the money and he was like, ski daddle. And so I was leaving and my friends were in line to get into the late show. Oh no. Oh no. It was so horrifying. Oh no. I didn't think I was going to live through this. Did you like kind of like sulk off to the side so your friends wouldn't see you? Or were you like, hey everybody. They were like, hey, we're so excited to see you. And I was like, oh, um, <laughs> come here. And uh, I said, I just got fired. And they were like, no oh, way. No. And I was like, yeah, I did. Oh, no, my fired. God. Did you think about, uh, like, oh, maybe I'm not great? Oh, for or- sure. I thought that I had gotten that answer. I mm-hmm. thought oh. I thought I had, because I, I, I thought real comedy was you get out on the road and you're in a comedy club on the road. And I just right. kept thinking, okay, I've been pampered by the L.A. scene, and that's not real. And mm-hmm. I really went out to do a club, and I got real money, and I failed, and I, I've, I'm a fraud, and so, I, it was mortifying. And my friend Nancy, who, who became my friend Nancy Norton, who's a incredible comedian in the Denver Boulder area, well, anywhere she goes, but <laughs> yeah. she lives in that area. Uh, she was the feature comedian, and she was pulling into the parking lot, and. She was. She said, "Where, where are you going?" I said, "I just got fired." And she said, "No." And every night after I would bomb, she would come up to me and she'd be like, "Oh my god, you are so funny," and I thought she was messing with me. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I, I would just be like, oh, thanks. And um, but she in the parking lot, she was like, no way. And I said, why do you think I'm heading out to the parking lot at showtime yeah. when you're arriving? And she was like, oh, my gosh. She said, these people, they they don't get you. She said, this, and be glad they don't get you. Mm-hmm. And she said, they get me so much, and that's my own problem, and I'll deal with that another time. <laughs> but be glad that they don't get oh, you. Oh, I love that. And, um, and then she said, I can get you on stage in the, like, premier club in downtown Denver. And and she did. And and the audience was so much better oh, than so like nice. in like just way out of downtown Denver in a strip <clears throat> in a strip mall and you know i don't i don't mean to knock the club i was just really not at any place to be you know they were basing it on a, a 5 minute set and and then like i said the club closed down and but I, I feel like I could get through hosting at a, sure. a strip mall club. Uh, wow. there, there's there's something about um, so, so sometimes you uh, you see a comic and it 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 kind of makes you go like oh my god what is this what am I even doing like is there someone like that for you yeah that when I mean, you saw them and it just blew your mind at moments when I thought that I hit my stride I'll see somebody like Maria Bamford and I'll I'll be like that's I'm I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I need to pack it up and go home right. because, I mean, that's I just feel like that's that's the yeah. that's top notch mm-hmm. pinnacle, and uh, but I, yeah, I just I feel like there's different different moments of feeling like you hit your stride and and um, yeah yeah. There's no particular moment. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you because I read somewhere that your process in constructing a joke mm-hmm. is that or material is that you don't really write anything out. You kind of write ideas out and then you go test them on the stage. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite bits that you've ever done is the Taylor Dane bit, and I saw you do that. I think at Hollywood Forever, like years and years ago, and around town several times. I'm just curious, like, how did you go about testing that out? And at what point were you like, okay, this is a solid, amazing. <laughs> bit. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, it was one of the hardest pieces I've ever written because if you listen to the beginning of the the story, there's really not any, there's not a joke for a while. I'm just setting it up. Mm-hmm. And so when I was first, when it was a 25-minute story, it would intimidate me because there's the setup is so long. I, it really took me maybe six months to get it down to 15 minutes where I knew, where I started naturally adding in the you are not going to believe. <laughs> and all, all those little moments of, of trying to trigger people. You know, like this is... Anyway, um, and it was also a bit that because it was so long and if it wasn't going well... I would be out on a limb and I would still have 10 more minutes to go and they're right. already not into it. Right. I was going to ask you because like it could oh, go wow. either way, right? Depending yeah. on yeah. your audience. Yes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> in fact, there's a, a, a version of it online that I did 
for Conan. And it was right at the, it was in the middle of my stuff that I was going through in 2012. And I was, Stop it. I was being filmed and my brain just went away. And I forgot the story. Oh, no. And the audience was laughing because they thought I was kidding. And I and I was saying, I know you think I'm kidding right now. <laughs> and I really don't remember the story, and it's actually true. And I said, yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm completely blanking on what happens next in this story that I've told a few times. So Taylor Dane says, wait, guys, I'm blanking. This is hilarious. You guys are thinking this is a joke, but it's not. <laughs> You're like, wow, you've already built an awkward situation. <laughs> so certainly this is part of the bit. It's not. <laughs> and then they were laughing. It was so uncomfortable, but I finally got through it. And then I went backstage. The producer came up to me and he said, hey, listen, don't worry. We can we can edit that and we can make it look this way. And, and I, I was in such a bad place in life that I said, you know what? Don't edit it. I kind of want that just out there. Mm -hmm. I just I think it's interesting and I want people to see me struggling through it i would right. want to see that right. you know i'd be fascinated to see oh somebody God. struggling like that yeah. and it's out there and somebody wrote a piece about that particular set saying they felt like i was toying with the audience and i was not toying with the audience i wow. really was just in the middle of like just some shit yeah. a lot i didn't even know i had cancer yet more with tignataro after this break Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. So 2012 is like the worst year of all years. It's it's a it's got to be a pretty bad. That's a that's a rough year for you. I mean It was it was it was definitely rough. Pearl. Yeah. You were hospitalized for problem for I had pneumonia. pneumonia? I I I was I I I thought I had a cold 
And uh, one of the last time, I think the last time I talked to my mother, she told me to have orange juice. And, um, and I didn't know I had pneumonia. I just kept telling friends that I had plans with, oh, can we get coffee tomorrow? I'm sure I'll feel better. I just kept trying to push things a little more. And then, uh, and um, anyway, I ended up having pneumonia. They, get, they gave me antibiotics for the pneumonia. And then my body had an adverse response to the antibiotics. Um, and what can happen, which happened to me, is the antibiotics cleared out all the bacteria in my gut. All the and, good bacteria, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, and maybe, I guess, bad, ev- uh-huh. just everything. Like, there's a, it's called C. diff, and it's a bacteria that lives oh, yeah. in your gut. Like, you, most people have it, right, and it's fine if it's within, if it's working with the other bacteria, but this alone, thriving without anything else, mm-hmm. just grows and eats away at your, um, C. difficile. Yeah. Yeah. Your insides. Oh, and it's, so it's, it's utterly horrendous. And so I was hospitalized for that. And then, um, I was released from the hospital and uh, a couple of days later, my mother fell and hit her head and was not conscious. And I had to fly home and take her off life support. Oh, oh, and, um, and then, uh, when I got home well to my mother's house I was too sick because even though I had tested negative for C. diff the damage it had done to my insides and Mm -hmm. it was hard for me to eat and um, I was too sick to leave so I stayed at her house for probably I think it was a month month and a half and then uh, you know there's the funeral and then I left and I went to New York to do This American Life, which was another version of Taylor Dane. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was kind of the first little bit of hope I got because when I got off stage, Ira Glass was like, we got one of the biggest responses from that story. What, what story do you want to do next? We want to have you on the show again immediately. And I said, oh, um, well, I just got diagnosed with invasive cancer and um, I don't really feel like (laughs) telling a story I'm in a rough spot because he knew I had gone through all the other stuff and made my way to New York Mm -hmm. and then I did that Taylor Dane story on This American Life I go home my girlfriend and I split up and then I'm diagnosed diagnosed with cancer this was all in four months oh my god yeah it was really intense and uh, to say the very least and then I, I went on stage. I had a booked show at Largo. Right. Um, and the owner, Flanagan, just said, listen, just keep it on the books in case you want to do it. And if not, we'll cancel it the second you, like, decide not to do it. Like, two seconds before showtime, you can cancel it. And I was like, you're insane. Did, did they know at this point that you had cancer? Yeah, yeah, everyone knew. Okay. And and Ira, I had told I had cancer, and he said, you should talk about it on stage and talk about everything you've been through. And I was like, you're insane. Flanagan, who owns Largo, is insane. Everybody is insane. I just, right. I just am in a bad place. Right, right. And then I went on stage, and I talked about it and had Largo record it. And then um, I... The show went 
you know, well enough as far as I was concerned. And then I emailed Ira Glass in the middle of the night and I said, hey, I talked about everything and I'll send you something. Um, maybe you could find something in there to use. And then I went to bed, turned my phone off, and I woke up the next day and that show, there were four or five comedians that were on that show and they were all tweeting and the audience was tweeting and blogging and I wasn't on Twitter, I wasn't on anything. I was just alone, I was just home sleeping and and then I woke up to truly book deal offers and wow. I woke up to every major publication wanting to talk to me, Rolling Stone oh magazine. And I've ch- my my mailbox was full on my phone. I had 50 or more emails um and I it's hard to imagine that I wasn't on Twitter. I didn't I was so removed. Right, right. That I really, it was like your great-great-grandmother. I, I didn't understand how everybody knew. I thought I was just sharing something with the 300 people in Largo. Uh-huh. Sure, of course, right. yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe one day I'll die from this, and then people will hear through the grapevine, oh, she died. I I That's think I heard that she had cancer. That's right. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to ask you a couple questions about, you know, the recording of Live and sort of where your mindset was because uh-huh. I there was a year a couple of years ago where um, uh, I got fired from my job mm-hmm. and then a couple months later my mom died mm-hmm. and then six weeks later my dad died. Oh my God. And then a few months after that I got diagnosed with cancer. So I know what it's like mm-hmm. to live through like tragedy that just keeps happening yeah. over and over and over again and you're like when is this ever going to and what was the time span of all that it was about a year uh-huh. like all that like happened within a year oh my gosh uh, and this was the second time I had gotten cancer it was uh-huh. two different types and I was just like about I was about to lose it and yeah. then I had to have surgery uh-huh. and then after the surgery six weeks later I'm getting this horrible pain in my bladder I'm like what the hell and I was like turns out I had this delayed allergic reaction and it was the most pain I'd ever had in my life. And I remember telling my wife, if this doesn't stop, I'm going to fucking jump off the roof because yeah. it was so yeah. awful. Yeah. So I look back on that and I think like, you know, like people say, well, how did you get through all it? Uh, you know, through all through all of that. And I think I don't know. Like yeah. I just got up every day yeah. and I went through it. So. You know, my question to you is like, how did you get through all that? Is the first question, and the second question is, what in your mind made you say, "I'm going to go up on stage, go to Largo, and do a whole set"? Like, where is your mind at? Like, are you scared? Are you are you freaked out? Like, I'm I'm just like, yeah. I just commend you for doing it, just knowing that I've been in that space. Well, I'm very sorry for what you went through. Oh. I mean, that's. I mean, I do know what a lot of pain feels like and emotional and physical and it's uh uh, yeah it's it's a lot and so it's intense um and as far as doing that show in 2012 i was nervous mainly because i didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings because i realized in the shower before the show that i was going to open the set with hello good evening i have cancer mm-hmm. and um and i didn't like that one little moment that could be out there 
hurting somebody's feelings, of them thinking I'm making light of cancer, if they're going through it or one of their loved ones. And But then I had to just go, I'm going to reveal my story because I do have cancer. And right, I just right. have to, so I was very nervous about that. Um, and I was also nervous because I knew it might be a terrible set. It might not be funny. It might not be interesting or compelling in any way. And I might just be wasting everyone's money and they've gotten babysitters. And I know what it takes to, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. You, people save money, they get babysitters, they make a night of it. And I'm like, Hey, good evening. I have cancer. Um, <laughs> right. give me your money. Right. Um, so those things were in my head of, I care that I do a good show. I care that people have a good time, but you know, I do love doing stand up, and I felt like I had just watched life go away very quickly with losing my mother with an, you know, accidentally falling and then having my own, I, I just, I didn't know what I was in for. I didn't know what was to come. So I just, having these different illnesses back to back, I was like, well, I probably am going to die. And um, it was so piled on the other that I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine I was going to live because I had mm-hmm. just seen death really right. closely. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I, I I think that I I I love doing stand up, and so I wanted to do it, and I also was scared it was going to be my last time to do it. So I really wanted to do it, right? And uh, and I really wanted to talk about what I was actually going through. And just take that chance. And I've felt like in life, with my personal life and my career, anytime I take a chance, I rarely regret it. You know? Right, I love that. It's just, it's very rare where I'm like, ah. I shouldn't have really gone big there. Well, you know, <laughs> you know? What, what's what's an uh, amazing thing is by you doing that, um, you, you did something that I tell comedians and friends in 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 our weird little circles of people is that when you are going through something, mm-hmm. it's it's better if you can let people know that you're going through something mm-hmm. it's a, it's also a relief that you're not living it in on your own in the dark you well know? and that's how i would have done it um because before i was diagnosed with cancer i was very private and withholding and you know uh i'm this is don't come this close and don't you know i was mm-hmm. very shut off in ways and uh distant in ways and um and I remember calling my manager and saying, I don't want anybody to know that I'm going through this and just um, this is going to be just between me and you. And he was like, absolutely. And we were just trying to figure out how to like just hunker down and go through this. And I, I was like, I want to keep working. I want to keep, you know, I had that bit of fear of like people would maybe steer away because, mm-hmm, oh, sure. you know, that's not a reliable person to book. But um, so I uh, I felt that way, and then um, and getting that diagnosis, I I was kind of at the end of my, 
at the end of the rope. And I was just like, I don't care. I don't care about anything in, in the most r- releasing kind of way. Like, right. I have lost everything. Mm-hmm. I've lost everything. Right. I, okay. What, what do you have to lose? Yeah, okay, right? so yeah. this show doesn't go well. How hilarious. I do a, like <laughs> right. a drop a bomb and then I die. You know, like, <laughs> well, that's, that's the lady who no. uh, died right after she did that yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like she, it yeah. made everyone sad and uncomfortable, and then she disappeared and died. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know that's well, kind of funny in its own when, way. What What was the reaction from the audience when you're out stage saying, saying hello, good evening, I have cancer? And they like, were laughing were they nervously. Like, uh-huh. And um, I had a podcast for several years, and. Um, People had been hearing my podcast, and I, you know, they knew I had been sick with pneumonia and C. diff, and that my mother had died, and I'd gone to the funeral, and oh, now I broke up with my girlfriend, and so they were hearing through this podcast what I was, what was going on, and then I also had said the week before, oh, I, you know, they found this lump, they think maybe it's cancer, and everybody's like. All my co-hosts are like, oh, no, no way. No, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm sure it's not, you know. But and it's, and not it's, after all of this. Yeah, that's yeah, to yeah, you. yeah. Right. And so I did this, and then I got my diagnosis, and I went and did my set, and people from the that listened to the podcast or at the show, and and I heard later from different listeners that they they were very upset because they they had been following my story mm-hmm. um whereas people that didn't listen to the podcast were like okay where's she going with this right um yeah. and so and it turned into just a constant stream of laughter crying i mean i was watching people cry from wow. the audience it was really bizarre i'm now very thrilled and uh, it is my great privilege to bring to the stage someone who is a very very dear friend who i love and cherish and you do too of course i'm talking about tig Nataro. Yeah. hello Good evening. Hello. I have cancer. How are you? Hi. How are you? Is everybody having a good time? I have cancer. How are you? Ah, it's a good time. Diagnosed with cancer. (sighs) Feels good. Just diagnosed with cancer. I was just saying, watching people shake their heads and um, and laugh and and also just watch me, not smile, not cry, just mm-hmm, listen. Yeah. It was a real mix, and uh, I had to just kind of let go of expectations of comedy and shows and just be like, "This is." I felt very held up by that audience, and I sure. run into people every now and then where they're like, "I was there," mm-hmm. and it's like, "Ah, oh, it's intense when I." meet them Ooh, I bet yeah I bet. how did you feel when you serious. when you walked off stage like I felt good uh-huh. I felt good I felt like well that's the best I could have done and I didn't think it was going to get a Grammy nomination mm-hmm. I mean the, sh- the the album ended up becoming the number one selling comedy album of the year like wow. around the world huge it was very huge, big huge album. and I I didn't expect that I truly believe that I, I I feel like I'm good, 
but right. who knows? Sure, sure. <laughs> but I, I feel like the lesson I learned from that chunk of time stays with me, and I'm thankful for it. I'm so thankful to be alive. I'm so, I'm so changed by the experiences that I've had. And I'm so um, just eager to be done with these hospitalizations. Oh, I know, I know. I cannot wait to be not like negligent carefree, but I just want to be out there in the world yeah. and not like, oh, God. But I'm I'm very devoted to my my diet. I'm I'm devoted to moving my body every day. I don't take it for granted, and because uh, I've seen it really really slip away. And so I'm going on almost a decade of like, oh this and that, and I'm in the hospital again. I got this surgery, and I oh this complication, and and now I'm just like, all right, let's get through this. Right. And right. I am. I'm gone. You will not. I am going to be doing things that I have not ever done before. I'm so what, excited. Like what kind of things do you want to eh, do? Probably just play the harmonica. But, uh, <laughs> get a pig, right? Yeah, get, get a, a pig. pig. Yeah. yeah. On, on a train. Go get just, a pig. Just, to just ride the rails. Yeah. Just ride the rails and play the harmonica. Yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah, why not? Ride the rails? I would, be, I would <laughs> happily ride the rails. I don't know who else plays pig. the harmonica. Uh, Bob Dylan. Oh, so, I'm so sorry. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Chrissy Hine. Stevie Wonder. All right, fine. So okay. many people. Um, you, um, I, uh, I want to talk about a few things real quick before we wrap up. Um, One Mississippi, your show that you did, mm-hmm. uh, is so brilliant oh, and thanks. so funny. What was that like for you to to put a show like that together and to star on a show and make a thing? Um, you know, there were difficult elements um, with the uh, producing element of it. Okay. But it was uh, exactly the story I wanted to tell and how I wanted to tell it. It was uh, nice to take the seed of my story of what had happened in 2012 and then go in different directions and kind of follow my story where I didn't know where it was going to go and just create storylines or take from people that were in the writer's room. I mean, a lot of it is, a lot of it is, um, I would say 75% of it is my story. Yeah. But, um, but it was, um, I feel very proud of it. And when it ended, the way it ended after season two and then they canceled it, I was like, I'm good with that. You know, being that you have gone through what you have gone through, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who um, who may be listening out there who are struggling through things either personally, professionally. Mm-hmm. Like, is there some sort of any sort of advice you, you could give to them, you know, through what you've what you've gone through? Like, no. Okay. <laughs> no, I um um I mean it's I I wrote a book about what I went through. Um and in that book I was kind of just searching for that answer and I felt like what I kept coming back to and what I wrote about is just the simplest thing which is to it's it's I'm embarrassed to share this because it's like yeah no duh but to keep taking steps to always move forward to keep some momentum going not not kill yourself over it but you know like you were talking about you couldn't stand up I mean keep 
going and set different markers for yourself and and um and just that it really is it's just that that's what i thought about every day when i went through what i was going through is um is to just move a step further yeah and um and related but unrelated what i do like to share with people that has changed my life and it's a quote I read somewhere and I tweaked it because it, it was like to the best gift a parent can give a child is a well-lived life of their own but I feel like just tweaking it to the best gift you can give anyone is a well-lived life of your own mm-hmm. and I I think about that all the time and it's so true and if you take care of yourself and you do your best and you just live your life to the fullest and healthiest and best way you can nobody's going to be you know bummed out or worried about you or right if you're out there living yeah it's just the greatest thing you can do and i think about it all the time and that's what i tell everybody I didn't think about that to get through my stuff, but think about it every day. Like I gotta, I gotta grow. I gotta change. I gotta take care of myself. I gotta, you know, be alive and uh, and live. Right. Yeah. So um, that's what I would say. Well, well, I can't think of a better way to end this. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tig. For thought we were just getting in. started. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say yes, go, get yeah. go get a pig. Go get a pig. Yeah. Go get a pig. Yeah. You bet. Never Surrender is produced by Western Sound. Executive producers are Jack Herga, Stephen Kramer Glickman, and Ben Adair. Producers are Sabrina Fang and Cameron Kell. Music by Hannes Brown. On social media, you can check us out on Instagram at NeverSurrenderPod, on Twitter at SurrenderPod, and on Facebook at NeverSurrenderPodcast. You can also email us at NeverSurrenderPodcast at gmail.com to share your own stories about how you struggled, failed, and ultimately never surrendered. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.